Welcome into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Yuma, and you're listening to Management Decisions, a podcast focused on topics that affect employers and management. Now, it's probably inevitable that at some point, as an employer, you'll have a woman in your workplace blessed with a pregnancy. And while it definitely can be a joyous time for everyone involved, there may be some challenges and legal items to consider throughout the process, which includes when the employee returns from maternity leave. To discuss this in more detail, we have Christine Walters joining us. Christine is an independent human resources and employment law consultant doing business as 5L Company, and she really is an experienced pro in the field, so it's a pleasure to have her on the show. Christine, thanks for coming on today. Tim, thanks so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Definitely, and you know, it's a topic that, uh, as I said, I'm sure impacts an employer at, at just about some point throughout their career or within that business. But I wanted to start off by asking if you could fill the listeners in just briefly on some of the key elements of the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, just again, for people who may not, may not know some of the details behind that. Sure, absolutely. It was actually an amendment to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which generally covers employers with 15, that's one five or more employees. And it really was an attempt, I think, to clarify under Title VII what it meant to prohibit discrimination in employment based on sex. Hmm. So the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, I'll call it PDA, really clarified that discrimination based on sex included because of pregnancy or childbirth or a medical condition related to pregnancy or or childbirth. We're actually going to recognize and celebrate, I think, the 36th anniversary this October 31st. Okay. The law was signed or it was signed into law in 1978 by President Carter. Well, and I appreciate again the clarification on sort of, you know, basically that was an amendment to something that already had existed and obviously an important one as more women are in the workforce. Now, why would you say though it is so important that executives and management and really even all the employees understand some of these details and what this all might mean for them? It's a fair question. I, I think we, we think a lot and talk a lot about rights as well as responsibilities I mm-hmm. think for both of those, for employees and employers. So for employees, which would include you know managers, for all employees, you know they want to know what your rights are, and, and that is including the right to be free from any form of discrimination, including based on you know pregnancy and those related conditions, and the concomitant responsibility for managers and employers to make sure they don't even have an oops, that they don't inadvertently Mm -hmm. discriminate. And we'll probably talk about that in a little bit, (laughs) um, but take any actions that could even be perceived as discrimination based on pregnancy. Well, you bring up a good point there that a lot of times, uh, you know, or at least in some cases, it might be just a simple not understanding them that could be discriminatory. And it's not an excuse, of course, but as you say, you don't want any of those oops in your, uh, in your place of business. An interesting part of this, though, is that, of course, people think of the pregnancy itself and maybe accommodating the, the women if they need to sit more often or they need to be moved for some reason physically. But I think a lot of people forget that, okay, then they're going to be gone you know, probably for three months is, is in that range. Um, I want to talk about that. What are some of the uh, legalities that are associated with what the employer does with that individual's position when they're gone for those three months with the expectation, of course, that they're going to be back? A really, one of my favorite answers to almost any question, Tim, is, well, it depends. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're, we're going to, I think, in our time together, probably go through a couple of slippery slopes. Sure. And, it, and it is challenging because there's so many laws. We have federal laws, state laws. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you mentioned three months. Let's just call that 12 work weeks. 
And that may make some listeners think of, ooh, that's that FMLA thing, which, of course, Family Medical Leave Act. Right. And even that we want to carve out. So let's say uh, a woman takes three months for maternity leave. Probably six to eight of those weeks are for the medical reason of giving birth to her newly born child. Sure. The remaining weeks are probably, assuming a healthy birth, probably to stay home and provide care for and bond with that newly born child. So the question, I think there's a couple of things employers want to think about is, one, if it's an FMLA-covered leave, then the employee is going to have job-protected leave. There's some exceptions to that. So what does the employer do with the job? Well, they could fill it temporarily, but they want to most likely, you know, reinstate that employee to the job she had when she left. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have more and more states that are starting to enact laws that provide even greater benefits than the Family Medical Leave Act. And then we go to maybe it's a small employer, an employer with fewer than 50 50 employees, so they're not covered under the Family Medical Leave Act. Mm -hmm. And I think that might go to What's the employer's policy? What's the policy that's in the handbook if they have one? Okay. And if there's not a policy, what's their past practice? One thing I think employers want to think about is, you know, not discriminating against any protected group, whether it's women who are pregnant or trying to become pregnant or individuals based on race or religion. We want to be careful of the flip side. And that is, if I provide my female employees with a greater benefit And the example I'll give is, you know, let's say you have a male employee who has a broken leg and he wants eight weeks off to, you know, to recover from his broken bone. And we say no to him, but he sees a female counterpart get eight weeks of leave for her medical condition, which happens to be pregnancy. Right. You know, the employer might think, oh, we're so supportive of, you know, family status and and we provide, you know, up to eight weeks of pregnancy leave oops, we didn't realize maybe our male employees who have different medical conditions might feel discriminated against. Hmm. No, that's definitely an intriguing thought. And, and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of times on our shows, we emphasize that we're talking a lot in sort of theory because, as you mentioned, there are a lot of different specific circumstances that can affect some of these decisions or even the legal side of it. So I, I do appreciate you bringing that up and, and trying to direct, differentiate at least a little bit. And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on some more, uh, more aspects there. What about some other options that could be there for the the employee that comes back? Maybe the position, they decide to rearrange some things. Can they be offered different positions? What's sort of the, the general practice or, or the legal side of that as far as other options when they come back? Sure. Options, again, are going to be driven by if uh, I think a primary consideration is if the leave was covered under the FMLA, right. I'll say you have fewer options than you otherwise might. Pretty much, again, with with some exceptions, the person needs to be reinstated to the job she had when she left. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, you know, I see things, maybe there's job sharing opportunities. Okay. Or it's not uncommon. Sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, get the question, well, hey, we had somebody come in and fill in while our employee was out. And you know what? The person that's filling in is doing a much better job (laughs) than the employee that's out on leave. Can we keep him or her in the position? So again, FMLA aside, you know, there's things that happen to him in employment. And I think that, gosh, it, it seems unfair or, or it kind of stinks. That can't be right. So there's things that from an employee relations standpoint may not be the best way to go. 
And I think a lot of it is, you know, we talk a lot about document, document, document. Right. Because it's not going to look good. It's going to look like possibly that you are, in fact, discriminating because the employee went out on leave. So the more you can have a documented trail of, you know what, the person's performance actually was not stellar prior to that. And just, I think I talk a fair amount about the power of why. I think as employees, we know what happens to us. Gosh, I was laid off or gosh, you know, my job changed, but I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. So again, and, and then as I mentioned, maybe it could be a job sharing opportunity, job shadowing opportunity, looking at other vacancies or opportunities you might have in the company. So there's some flexibility there, um, so long as we're compliant with the law. <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, are there any specific time frames that might affect either the legal side of it or a decision that an employer might make in terms of maybe how long the employee is gone for that maternity leave, uh, the time that they've spent in that current position, if they, you know they've been there only a year versus having been there 10 years. I mean, do those things play major factors that either on the legal side or on simply the management decision side? It's an, another really good consideration, I think. And yes, both on the legal side and just kind of the dot your I's, cross your T's mm-hmm. side. FMLA, of course, we're talking about up to 12 work weeks. Okay that employee's work week. So full-time versus part-time, whatever that employee's work weeks are. So that's fairly set in stone there. Right now we have, last I peaked, at least 12 states that have their own, if you will, mini FMLA laws. And that's 12 states plus the District of Columbia. So Mm. some of those will provide more than 12 work weeks. And then again, putting FMLA aside, you know, I think employers a lot of a lot of employers, many, many that I see, already provide, you know, a leave of absence if you need it for, for all sorts of different reasons. So maybe one common length of time that I might see is, well, you could take a leave for up to 60 days or your length of employment, whichever is less. Hmm. And that might help, you know, so if you have a pretty much a brand new hire that comes in, and after a couple of weeks, the person says, oh, I need leave for this reason. Well, they've only worked for you for two weeks. You're not sure you want to give them two months of leave. Right. So maybe you, you limit it that way. And again, I think past practice, I think we always want to keep that in mind as employers too. Mm-hmm. My policy says X, and I think what trips up employers sometimes is they're actually doing Y, and they're not following their own policy which might be okay, but you need to understand why you've made exceptions to that policy. So, sure. so I think that all those are a little food for thought, maybe. Uh, again, I think you bring up excellent points as far as policies and documentation and all those aspects and being important, not only to be consistent, but then to ensure you're not uh, you know, crossing any lines or if somebody were to question you, that you have all that mapped out. So I think our listeners can definitely take a lot from, from those suggestions. Now, I actually came across you individually because of, in part, because of an article I had seen you talk about and it had to do with actually the idea of promotion in a scenario where an individual was gone uh, on maternity leave. What are some details that the employer and employee might need to be aware of if, say, that employee who ends up having a child and being gone for those three months, let's say, um, what do they need to keep in mind as far as if that person was interested in a promotion and and maybe things are moving quickly in that company? I mean, how does that all play a factor with with what that employee might want and what the employer wants? It was a, at least once, and I'm sure more than once, um, been a matter of litigation. And, And I think what we see sometimes is perception becomes the reality against which 
we as an employer need to defend. So an employee thinks they're going to be promoted, comes back from maternity leave, and it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, hmm, why did it not happen? (laughs) Is it because the employee's perception was wrong or... Yeah, again, it's it could at least look like you're not promoting me because, and and I hear employers sometimes, and I think we do. It may be human nature. We tr- we start to predict the future. Mm-hmm. Well, this employee was out now. Now she has a newly born child. I think she's going to be absent and late. I'm not sure I want to promote her to more responsibility. And that's I think when we hear ourselves trying to predict the future, that's a a slope down which we do not want to slip. Right. And just focus on where are we today and what's the documentation? You know, what did the employee's prior performance appraisals look like? Was there any corrective action in recent history? Where did the employee get the idea that she was going to be promoted? Mm. Well, if you had a dialogue with her and said, that's what we expect to happen or that's what may happen, and then it doesn't, and there's nothing to substantiate why it didn't happen, then again, you kind of have this battle of fighting the appearance of discrimination. So I think it's documentation, it's communication, and helping an employee understand why, you know, kind of the why behind the what. Again, the power of why, I think. Well, again, I think uh, uh, some important aspects there to to keep in mind for those listening. Let's take a quick step back and just kind of look at the big picture as a whole, because I do think, um, as you mentioned, there are are lots of different scenarios that can arise. And um, when we're talking about pregnancy and then the post-pregnancy sort of process and what happens, what would you say in general, though, are the biggest challenges that employers face when a situation like this occurs of, of a pregnancy and then the employee is going to be returning after their leave? You know, dot your I's, cross your it's very challenging, I find, you know, whether it's a small business or, you know, a big multi-state international corporation, there's just myriad laws. There are so many between federal, we have, again, FMLA, you might throw in a little ADA if the employee's having a, a medical complication that could be a disability related to pregnancy. Then we have state laws, multi-state laws, and we even have local jurisdictions that are enacting related laws. So I think that is probably the biggest challenge is even, you know, due diligence, good faith, make sure you know what are the laws and the regulations, particularly the laws that apply to your business based on where you are and how many employees you have. And, you know, I don't want to say good guys finish last. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, sometimes that's what happens. Again, I have seen more than once where an employer is trying to be very supportive, do a great thing. They push out this beautiful new maternity leave policy and Mm -hmm. a male coworker is frustrated because his perception at least is, hey, how come come the ladies are getting a benefit that I'm not when I have a, a comparable medical condition? So I think finding resources, and there's lots and lots of free resources out there for employers to stay informed, stay up to date, when in doubt, get some guidance. And I would say, even when you're sure you know the answer, maybe maybe get a little guidance as a sounding board just to be safe. Sure. No, and I like the fact that you do bring up that sometimes when you try to accommodate, you go too far the other way. And it might not just be as you brought up. It's not just in a case necessarily of pregnancy or male to female, but there are other circumstances where that does happen. 
that obviously can be one of the common mistakes that occur. Are there any other sort of common mistakes that you've seen happen when it comes to trying to figure this all out? I know you've touched on a couple of, as we've gone along here, but maybe to emphasize a couple other areas that are your common mistakes that people should look out for. I, you know, what I think the biggest uh, thing to, one big thing to keep in mind perhaps is what's not a mistake today could be tomorrow. Hmm. We talk a fair amount. There's all sorts of different Bermuda triangles in employment and HR. And this topic, Tim, is great. This is one of them. We have the Bermuda Triangle, if you will, of interpretation through the court system, legislation through Congress and our state general assemblies, and regulation through, in this case, the EEOC. So it continues to evolve. And and so I guess a common mistake is thinking you know the right thing to do, and you may today, but if you don't stay current on these spins and twists and reinterpretations, what's the right thing today becomes not the right thing tomorrow. So I think, again, finding those resources is just really, really critical and important. Well, Christine, you've given us some great insights, some details, uh, both from the legal side and just from a you know positive practice side of things. I wanted to give you the floor here at the end, the last 30 seconds or so, just to have you give our listeners a final message, a nice takeaway from this conversation regarding this topic, anywhere you'd like to go with it, just to, uh, again, give a nice close to this discussion. Oh, Tim, thank you very much. And thanks to all the listeners. I think partnering, finding partnerships that advance your business needs, whether it's your state or local chamber of commerce, uh, professional or trade associations such as SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management, train your managers, educate your managers, partner with associations and groups, lots of free resources, stay one step ahead of the curve and you'll be good to go, I think. All right. Very well put. And that's a good spot for us to close out this edition of Management Decisions. Again, we've been talking about, well, in part, pregnancy in the workplace and some of the processes and legalities to handling that efficiently and appropriately. And we touched on a couple other areas as well with our guest today. Her name is Christine Walters. Again, she's an independent human resources and employment law consultant. You can find her doing work at 5L Company. Christine, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate all the insight and uh, hopefully our listeners can take away plenty from our conversation today. Tim, thanks so much. It really was a pleasure. I appreciate it. And of course, you can always get in touch with us uh, if you want to have any shows that you're interested in. I mean, we can talk about that. Or if you have feedback for this one, go ahead and shoot an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Mm